scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 through 23. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. See how the flowers of the field grow. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. So every year at Thanksgiving time, we do this special offering, the Thanksgiving offering. It'll be two weeks from today, uh, not next Sunday, but the following November 24th. And this is uh, over and above beyond regular giving. So a lot of the members of LMCC give a tithe, 10% of their income on a regular basis every month, 12 months of the year. Um, But then we also, in addition to that, above that, separate from that, we have the special offering at Thanksgiving time um, where you, you give extra. Um, and you can either give it all at once or you can make a commitment, a pledge to give, you know, X amount over and above um, over the next six months. So uh, today after the service, as Kara already mentioned, we'll be doing our annual vision meeting where we talk about the purposes of this year's offering and what the goal amount is going to be this year. Um, but then on, on the Sundays for the sermons for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the spiritual dynamics of giving. And I do want to say... Um, if it's your first time this morning or if you're kind of um, not super well connected to the church, um, this, this message, these messages the next two weeks aren't, aren't necessarily directed uh, toward you. Uh, and they're not representative of what we usually do on Sunday mornings at LMCC. The, the idea at our church is for Sundays to be something that's accessible to everybody, from Christian to non-Christian to everybody in between, sometimes Christian, marginal Christian, Maybe I'm going to check out Christianity someday. You know, that's the, that's the idea, the whole gamut. Um, that's wh- who we're usually talking to, everybody. Uh, and for the next two weeks, this week and next week, talking more to those who are committed Christians and those who are already a committed part of LMCC. So if that doesn't describe you, my apologies. Hope you come back in a couple weeks and feel free to, you know, we're glad you're here. Feel free to eavesdrop. Um, but just recognize that this isn't necessarily representative of what we normally do. So uh, today, just want to talk about one thing, uh, no points, no sections, just one thing we're going to talk about the whole morning, which is the, the main reason that people don't give or they don't give more. And the main reason that people don't give or they don't give more is because they feel that they can't afford to. Um, I know that sounds obvious, but um, it's worth saying. The main reason people don't give or they don't give more is they feel they can't afford to. So people feel like, well, you know, one day I, I hope to be fabulously wealthy. And when I am, I, of course, will be fabulously generous. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who it's their ambition, it's their deep desire 
to really give a lot of their money away someday. But, but just not right now. now. Now, it happens to be a really bad time right now. It's, it's just right now, is, it's just tight. Right now, it's not good. Just not right now. Someday, I really want to give a lot. But right now, I can't afford to. And what I've noticed is that this applies to everybody regardless of how much money they have. You know, so let's, you, you make X and have X and you're thinking, if I just made Y and I just had Y, then I would be at a place where I had enough and I could afford to give. But the problem with that is I could show you somebody that does make Y and does have Y and they still don't feel like they have enough. Why? Because usually... Your, your expenses and your liabilities increase in proportion to your income and your assets. So that person is just as cash-strapped as everybody else. More does not equal enough. And you, you're thinking, if I could just get a little bit more, if I could just get to here, I would have enough. But I'll tell you, if you got there, once you got there, all of a sudden, as if by magic, it's not enough. It's not enough. Why does that happen? Well, the Bible talks about this, and uh, like is true in a lot of different areas, this is an area where the Bible takes conventional wisdom and turns it uh, completely on its head. It, It perfectly reverses the conventional wisdom. So the conventional wisdom is, if I had enough, then I would give. And what the Bible says is, no, it's not that. It's not if you had enough, then you will give. It's if you give, then you'll have enough. If you start to give, and only when you start to give, will you have enough. That's the condition. That's the condition of having enough is starting to give. It flips it on its head. And this is talked about all throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, multiple times, repeated again and again. This is how it works. If you give, and only once you give, will you ever have enough. So I want to look this morning at one of the places that scripture talks about this, just one of the many we could have looked at. Um, This passage from Matthew 6, Jesus talking, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, and you you heard it read just a second ago by Gary. I want to read it for you a second time now, and we'll put it up on the screen so you can follow along with me. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. See how the flowers of the field grow. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you. As well, I've heard it now twice this morning. If you've uh, been to LMCC, come into LMCC for any length of time, you've heard it plenty of times before. I preached on this passage four or five times. Uh, if you grew up in church, you heard it. Even if you're just a member of Western society, you've heard this passage. It's one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible, and it's also one of the most misunderstood. So what I want to accomplish this morning is I don't I don't want anyone I don't want a single person to walk out of here without understanding how this works, how what Jesus is talking about in this passage works. We're going to spend the the better part of the morning breaking it down together. 
So we can start just by asking, what is he advocating? What is Jesus telling us we should be doing? Uh, and that's the easy part. He's saying, uh, don't worry about whether you're going to have enough. Don't worry about whether you're going to have enough money. And it seems to be connected to this promise that God will make sure that you have enough money. Jesus is saying, don't worry that you have about having enough because God's going to make sure that you have enough. So then the tricky part is interpreting that. What does that mean? So the, the first way you could interpret it is it means that God's literally going to supply your needs. You know, like send you checks in the mail and um, arrange for your, your affairs to be set in order, your financial affairs to set in order, you know, uh, money in your account, that sort of thing. You know, find you an apartment. It's going to literally provide for you. And so people think, well, that, that can't be what it means. So then they go to this second kind of more spiritual, metaphorical place of thinking, well, what it, what it must mean is, he must be saying, well, just do everything normally, you know, just go about your business as usual, but try to have this mindset of peace, of not worrying about it. You know, obviously you have to just live your normal life, but, but God is taking care of you out there somewhere, so just have this mindset, this mentality of not worrying. And those two different interpretations, you can kind of uh, understand what those are by thinking about the two different ways the phrase don't worry is used don't worry about it so one way it, the phrase don't worry about it could be used as if you know you're just spinning your wheels about something and you've done everything you can but now there's nothing else that can be done and so a person says well, well don't worry about it stop fixating on it but the other thing that don't worry about it can mean is if somebody's taking care of the check at the restaurant you know and you pull out your wallet and they say no don't worry about it don't worry about it. It's already taken care of. You know, you don't need to take any action. Don't worry about it. And those are the two different interpretations that could apply here. You know, is Jesus saying uh, God's actually going to send you checks in the mail? Or is he saying, well, just try to have this attitude of peace? And the answer is, it's, it's the first one. It's the ridiculous sounding one. It's the silly one. It's the checks in the mail one. Jesus is talking about God literally, physically, actually supplying your needs, giving you the stuff you need. He's not talking about a mindset. He's not talking about a mentality. He's not talking about a peaceful disposition. He's talking about God actually giving you what you need. Don't worry about it. The tab has already been paid. Don't worry about it. That's what he's talking about. You say, well, that's never happened for me. Um, And I bet you're right. I bet it has never happened for you. I know you thought I was going to say, no, it has happened for you. You just haven't realized it. You know, you haven't noticed that God was providing for you. But that's dumb. I mean, that's, I, I think that's a, a cop-out. That's not my view. My view is it probably has never happened for you before, and I bet I know why. One of the biggest misconceptions about the promises of the Bible is that they are these unilateral proclamations that just come true no matter what. And that's just not true. Most of the promises of the Bible, the vast majority of the promises of the Bible, are not unilateral proclamations. They're these bilateral contracts, these covenants, where there's a part for you to do and a part for God to do. And it's an if-then statement. If you do this, then God will do this. It's conditional. And the reason we get confused about this is because we talk a lot about how God's love for us is unconditional, how his acceptance of us is unconditional. And that's absolutely true. We talk about that most weeks here. We talked about it last week. But this week, we're talking about the flip side, which is, yes, God's love for you is unconditional. Yes, his acceptance of you is unconditional. But a lot of the promises, the specific promises 
in the Bible are anything but unconditional. They're if-then statements. They depend upon you doing something. And you have to actually do it. You can't just believe it. You know, that's the other misconception is, well, for the promise to come true, you just have to believe that it's true. So you just believe that God will supply your needs and then it'll happen. No, that's not how it works. There's something you have to do. There's an if. There's a part you have to play. You have a part of the contract. So what is it? What is it in this case? You, you may have caught it. Um, when we read the passage two times, um, it's there in the, the last sentence of the passage is when Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. That's the condition. That's your part of the contract. If you, if and only if you seek first his kingdom, then all these other things, so food, clothing, all your material needs, all your material financial needs will be given to you as well if you seek first his kingdom. So now we're narrowing it down. We've got to figure out what does it mean to, to seek first his kingdom. And, and another of the reasons this passage is so misunderstood is because people go in all sorts of weird directions with this seek first his kingdom. You know, what, is it, what does it mean to seek first his kingdom? I think the typical place people go with it is this kind of vague, um, big standard of like super Christianity. You know, super spirituality. Seek first his kingdom means be a super Christian of some sort. You know, it means um, be a saint. It means uh, leave your job in investment banking and go become a missionary or a minister. Seek first his kingdom. This big, saintly, super Christian thing. But that's not what it means, at least not in the, the context of this passage. In the context of this passage, seek first his kingdom, the condition that's on you, your side of the contract, Seek first his kingdom has a very specific, very particular, very practical uh, meaning, content. And you can figure out what that is by looking at the context of the passage. What is the passage about? What is Jesus talking about? A lot of people would say, well, he's talking about worry. Well, kind of, but, but not really. He's not really talking about worry. He's talking about money. The passage is about money. The intro to the passage is, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's the intro. That's the setup. That's what he says first. And then he goes on about talk about having your financial needs met. The passage is about money. So when, when he says, seek first his kingdom, seek first God's kingdom, he could be talking about a lot of things, but the one thing we know for sure he's talking about is money. He has to at least be talking about that. And if that's true, then we're, we're getting really close to an answer, or at least a partial answer. Because in the context of this passage, what seek first his kingdom means is give your money to God, to God's church, to God's kingdom first before you use your money to meet your own physical needs. And so then the response is, well, oh, no, no wonder it's never happened for me. Uh, it's never going to happen for me because I'm never going to do that. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. That's irresponsible. You know, forget it. It's kind of like uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. There's this famous episode where this guy, they call him the rich young ruler, comes to Jesus, and he's really eager, and he's like, tell me, what do I have to do? You know, what do I have to do? Just let me know. And Jesus tells him, and the guy's like, oh. And there's this poignant phrase in Scripture where it says he, quote, walked away sad. Just turned around and walked away sad. Well, I can't do that. So that's kind of how it is with this. You know, there's this, this promise. God's going to meet your needs. All you have to do is give your money to God before you meet your own needs. Oh, well, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. But at least now you understand why this has never happened for you. At least you get 
you know, the, the limiting factor and the reason why this isn't true in your life. Because, I don't, look, don't go around saying the Bible's promises aren't true. That's what I don't want. Just because you don't hold up your end of the deal, don't go around saying the Bible's promises aren't true. You go you're thinking, man, I know, I know I'm supposed to trust God because he said he's going to take care of this stuff, but I just, I just have such a hard time doing it. Well, what makes you think that he's taking care of it? What makes you think that he's taking care of it if you're still taking care of it? He's probably not. He never said he was going to. You misunderstood the promise. You misunderstood. He's not going to get on the job while you're still on the job. He's not going to take care of this stuff while you are still keeping all your money yourself, slaving away, trying to take care of it yourself. So you should be worried. Somebody better worry. I mean, it's you against the world. You should be worried. Don't say, oh, I know I should trust God to take care of this stuff, because he's probably not taking care of it, because you haven't done your part. Or, alternatively, you know, you, can, you should either go out there and keep worrying, or alternatively, try to put this into practice, this idea of giving the money that you need for your own financial needs, giving that money first to God, and then, and only then, watching him take care of you, watching him take care of the rest. I have four people I want you to hear from, four people from the congregation who have done exactly that, um, Sharice and Ricky and Rebecca and John. So I ask you to please welcome them now as they come up. Good morning. I'm going to read from my notes. <laughs> Make it easy. Um, since I've been attending LMCC for about two and a half years, um, three, there have been three Thanksgiving offerings. I skipped the first one and participated in the others. Um, for each one, I have been inspired by the messages and testimonies leading up to give. The last Thanksgiving offering, I stretched beyond the previous one and acted on faith to a commitment that I was determined to fulfill and on time, but wasn't sure of how it would come together. A month before the final payment was due, I received an unexpected check in the mail from a property that I had to let go. Um, I've always heard of that happening to others, but it has never happened to me for such a significant sum of money. It covered the Thanksgiving offering commitment with a little extra to spare. Um, Not only was I blessed in this regard, um, but I was offered a larger space in my apartment building that equated to going from a studio with a shared space to a one-bedroom all to myself um, (laughs) for only $300 more, a few hundred dollars more. Um, I received a promotion on my job that not, not only was a huge jump professionally, but my salary was increased as well. This is huge because when I came to New York City three years ago, I took about a 30% cut in salary with a higher, you know, higher cost of living. With the new promotion, um, my salary increased by more than 70%. Um, with participating in the Thanksgiving offering, consistently tithing, I feel like it has just given has just taken off any restrictions in all aspects of my life. Um, I know those restrictions exist when I don't give because there have been periods when I thought it was too expensive to give and also make a living. Um, But when I restricted my giving, I never had enough and always seemed to be in the negative. Um, Giving has opened my heart and life to God's will and strengthened my trust in him as I see that he cares for me even in the details. That's a a really tough act to follow, (laughs) and uh, way more concise. Uh, 
than my story, so I will apologize in advance. I am Ricky. Uh, my wife, Hannah, is over there. She's wonderful. Do, do a, uh, we've been coming to LMCC for six years now, um, and last year um, we've, we've done three, I think, three givings. Is this our third? Is this our fourth? I would, yeah, well, Ryan should know, but I don't know. Uh, so we've been through this before. We have a little bit of a tradition uh, when it comes to giving. What we do is we, we go into separate rooms in our apartment, and this is the part uh, Dane will like. We, we pray separately, uh, and then we each write down the number that we think we should give. Um, in some years, that's been great because we write down the same number, and it's like, wow, we are just so perfect for each other. Uh, <laughs> Last year was not that year, uh, so so the first the first number comes. I'm not going to say who said it, but it was uh, it was it was a hard number. It was like okay, this this would be really hard to do, uh, and we talked about it. And then the next number comes, and it was double that number, uh, and it was like oh no, uh, what what do we do? Um, and what we did was we had a really hard discussion with each other um, about. Our, our feelings about what we're doing here, what we're doing as Christians. And uh, at the end of the day, what we decided to do was uh, give the, the high number, in part because Ryan gave uh, one of his really great sermons last year, which was, uh, he said, you have to give so much that it hurts. And what we realized was the hard number, it was hard. It was like going to the gym for me is hard. That was that number. Uh, the high number, it hurt. It was like uh, playing full court basketball at the the church retreat like that <laughs> that hurts uh, so so a, a little background Hannah and I work at tech startups uh, and in the startup world you don't really like get bonuses they keep like hanging the carrot of like one day we're gonna sell or we're gonna IPO and remember Twitter and like everyone was millionaires and it was awesome uh, and so uh, so you know, we just don't expect bonuses and those kinds of things to come. So we give, and, and we actually had discussions like, maybe this will be the year our company sells, and like, and God will provide, and Ryan will be speaking the truth, and uh, the, <laughs> the, the check will come in the mail. Uh, and then January comes around, and uh, Hannah's boss calls her into his office, and I remember her messaging me and saying, like, my boss is calling me into my, his office, like, I don't know if I'm going to get fired or what's going to happen. Uh, and he gave her a bonus for the exact amount we gave, the, the high number, uh, which for our industry is uh, totally crazy. Um, and uh, But really, I want to just close in saying that for us, it wasn't about the money. Um, I mean, that was awesome. Like getting a check in the mail is uh, great. But what it was for us was God affirming, like if we step out in faith, he will be there to support us, um, and it's allowed us over the past year to step out in faith, not just with money. It was like it was like a taste it before you like go all the way in, and so uh, so I know lots of people in this church have stories like that. Uh, I'm just the one up here because Hannah volunteered me to come up here, <laughs> uh, and uh, and I hope that this year uh, the numbers of people that have those stories just grow uh, more and more every year. Hi, I'm Rebecca. That's my husband, Justin. 
that's Cammy. Um, and we, um, we have been part of LMCC for a while, and we love this tradition in the church because it's such a cool opportunity to see what God's doing and kind of like this huge, very clear like number of how God's growing people in our church um, spiritually. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting because there are people at all different places spiritually and financially. And for us, financially, last year it was – and I know Ryan says everyone's in a tight year. So it was, felt like a very tight year for us. Um, and it was, you know, we were making decisions of not whether we go to the cheap brunch place or the more expensive brunch place, but, like, whether we go out to eat ever. Um, and I, we, so this tempered, this flavored a lot how we sat down and looked at this, um, the Thanksgiving offering. And we said, okay, we created a number that was kind of basically roughly similar to one month's tithe for us. Um, and it was something that on paper was a stretch, but somehow could kind of work out. Um, and then we got very convicted that um, God was, that we were missing out on what God was doing if we didn't stretch ourselves. That, you know, God would provide for LMCC, that, you know, God would show amazing things, but that we, if we weren't part of it, that um, if we weren't stretching ourselves, we weren't really going to be part of that and be able to experience that joy from that. Um, so we decided to select a number that was based on me getting a, jo- a certain job. Um, and uh, <laughs> so we put the number down. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> and um, it's kind of one of those crazy things. I mean, it was like seven times the original number. It was, it was silly. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to March, and um, for those of you who aren't familiar, there's pledges, and you can give up through like five months or something like that is the idea. Um, so we fast forward to March, and we, um, I was sitting down doing my taxes, and it kept coming up that I owed, we owed money. And I was like, this is not possible. Um, and I remember having a conversation with God that night, and I wish I had said, like, oh, is peaceful and just you know god we're looking forward to you providing and what i said was something like hey you said that if we did this you would be there (laughs) and and i'm not seeing how this is adding up (laughs) and it's like you're saying we owe money instead of like getting money and ryan said the check's in the mail the check is not in the mail (laughs) what's going on just show up would you um and so then the next morning I redo my taxes and I forgot to check a box and so you know it instead of owing money we ended up getting money back and then the next week I got this scholarship that um didn't exist previously and it was created just for someone in my profile and as a result of all this we ended up doubling we got twice as much as we had pledged and so it was just this cool opportunity to see God work Um, so thanks I've got to go after the crying person. That that is really not a good start. That's what I need. Um, So my name's John, my wife Ruth. Please laugh. Um, I I think the uh, the first Thanksgiving offering was four years ago. And uh, four years and one month ago, I never would have thought I'd be up here talking about giving money for a bunch of reasons. One... Anytime I heard a story like any of these, I would, and I'm, I'm very cynical. So I always assume, you know, coincidence, doesn't really happen. 
Um, nonetheless, and what I kind of back on, I used to tithe somewhere. I, I can't use the word tithe. Actually, that means 10%, right? So I used to contribute or give somewhere between 5 and $20, not percent, um, <laughs> a week. Okay? So like on a typical week, $5, sometimes nothing. If God really did a good job that week, he might get 20 <laughs> If I got like a, a promotion or something, he'd get 50 um, But that was very rare. So, you know, I felt kind of good about that. Then at the Thanksgiving offering four years ago, um, Ryan did give a good sermon. And it changed my perspective on the whole concept of money. It was, you know, more, it wasn't really about what we talked about. I didn't do it thinking if I do it, it'll be checking the mail. I was still very cynical about that piece of it. But I did it because I changed my mentality, that this money that I have isn't my money. It's not that I earned it. I'm giving God, you know, his share or bribing him to do good things each week. But it's more that I'm getting to keep some of the money and giving him back what's his. And so starting with that Thanksgiving offering, um, you know, and, and I can take the story a lot of different ways as far as, you know, Ruth and I prayed and came up with the same number type of stuff. So all that actually did happen, but I don't want to focus on that. So, so that's when we, we started really tithing. And um, sure enough, every single year there was a story kind of like how Ryan described today where, you know, when we would kind of go out in faith and, and give a big, big number, we'd get a reward. There'd be literally a check in the mail that would come. I never won the lottery or anything, but I did, you know, it was a positive return on the investments, put it that way, as a finance guy speaking. Um, what I do want to talk about is something that happened recently. So this year, um, we left Battery Park City, moved to Brooklyn, and we bought a house. Um, Brooklyn, go Nets, shout out. Um, and so, and if, if you guys have bought a house, especially in New York, it's a very long, drawn-out process. So by the time January had come, we had made an offer. It was accepted on the house, but we weren't approved yet for the loan. And um, and it's a, I hadn't gone through this in Ohio. Like within two days, you're like approved, and you move into the house. So it's January. This process. Long story short, we didn't end up closing the house till June. But during this time, you know, the bank's asking a million questions every time we make a check. They, like, want a paragraph information. So I was like, you know what, I'm not going to contribute any money. To, I'm not gonna, we're going to kind of hold off on the tithing. I'm nervous about, you know, what's going to happen with this closing. Are we going to have enough money for down payment, all this stuff. So I had 50 good reasons why not to tithe from January until June. June, we closed on the house. And, of course, in the back of my head, I'm like, all right, I need to now do, like, six months of catch-up. And I just made this big down payment on the house. Around that time, the company I worked for had a really bad year. Our year ends in June, and so they announced there's no bonuses this year. Not like less bonus or 50% bonus. It was like literally no bonus. So now I'm like, oh gosh. So I'm trying to think of like all the great math on how I can prove that you know I don't I shouldn't tithe because it's such a, t a rough year. I didn't get a bonus. Um, started looking for another job. Um, even though I really liked what I was doing, just financially, I was like, you know, I, I can't handle this, like, not getting a bonus. Um, I'm a finance guy, so I do a lot of, like, budgeting for, for our own family. Also, Ruth really loves those conversations. <laughs> so I came up with this magical number. I said, Ruth, I need to find another job, and if I can get a job where I'm making this salary, we'll be fine, okay? Like, we will have enough money to pay all the bills. We can go on a family vacation. And we're not going to be extravagant, but we'll be fine. And that number, by the way, was quite a bit higher than what my current salary was, certainly without a bonus. Um, so anyway, started looking for a job. Still hadn't given a penny of tithing for this year. And it was really nagging at me that, like, we haven't this. It's now October and still haven't, so 10 months into the year. So now this catch-up's like getting bigger. So anyway, um, about three or four weeks ago, I guess it was, I did a catch-up on the tithe for, um, for the year. And um, literally that week, 
And this, these are the stories where when I used to sit there, I would say, like, this doesn't happen. But literally that week, what happened is my boss, and there's a little more to the story, but Ryan told me I'm supposed to have two to three minutes, and I'm already at, like, ten. Um, but literally that week, my boss talked to me. I got a, an unexpected, like, huge raise um, and an extra bonus, and the, uh, my new salary is exactly $5,000 more than that magic number that I had calculated that I told Ruth, you know, if we made this amount, we'd need. So it was literally during that week um, that it happened. So I think, you know, to me, I can no longer say these are coincidences, you know, when I used to be really cynical. Like, it's happened, and I could go on, and this happened last year and the year before, and and the first time we did Thanksgiving offerings, there's always been a story. This is just the most current one. Um, But it really does work, and it's completely changed my attitude both to be more giving and to actually expect that, you know, what Ryan's saying today, that there will literally be a check in the mail or, you know, some form of, of return on it. So... So let me just say a couple of things as we wrap up. Um, the first is, you know, you might have noticed that they all had the same story, um, you know, slight variations. That's four people. We had four different people last year. So that's eight out of not a very large group. Um, and I, what I want to say is just, you know, I, you usually, I mean, they all alluded to this, but um, usually when you've got like a, a testimonial, you take like the most extreme outlier, you know. So if you're watching a, uh, weight loss commercial for some, you know, weight loss solution. It's this person saying, I lost 50 pounds in six weeks. And then in like six point type gray lettering in the bottom are, are three words, results, not typical results, not typical. It happened for this person, but it doesn't happen this way for most people. And what I want to say about this is results, typical Re- results, typical. Does it always happen this way? no. It's not like a magic formula. It's not 100% of the time, but it usually happens this way. This is the rule. There's, this is not the exception. This is the rule. And this, you know, you, you even sensed it you know, from those that were sharing. There is some uh, embarrassment about that it happens this reliably. You know, we don't want it to be this easy, and we don't really want it to be like this. You heard uh, people talk about the, the other benefits of giving, which we'll, we'll talk about next week. We will talk about these, and those are ultimately the greatest benefits of giving, is stretching your faith, becoming closer to God, becoming a generous person, breaking the grip of materialism on your life. All of these things are the, the highest goal. But we, it's like we want to ignore this other part about if you give, if you give until it hurts, like they talked about, that God will give you money back in return, that God will supply your needs. You, you saw it there in the passage. He says, uh, Jesus says, uh, for the pagans run after these things, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's like we think God only understands uh, like spiritual things, like joy and peace and salvation, but he doesn't understand groceries. He doesn't understand apartments. He does, he's never taken home economics. You know, like God doesn't get that. And Jesus says, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. He knows that you need these things. God gives back in this way. And this is such a great example of what I was talking about last week, where uh, the, the poor, poor Christians, poor churches get a more genuine, more robust faith experience than affluent Christians do. Because in poor churches, they don't have any embarrassment, any qualms about this at all. This is a very well-established 
principle in, tor- in poor churches. Everybody knows this is how it works, and everybody does it. But the, the rich, the affluent, the educated just feel like, well, I don't know. I mean, it just feels kind of crass, you know. It just makes me feel a little squeamish, just this, this God giving you money. I mean, I think I, I, th- I saw a televangelist talk about this once, and I just, I, I, this is not my type of religion. This is, this is lowbrow religion. I, I prefer to give um, because, out of the goodness of my own heart. I prefer to give, you know, just uh, for, for the cause and not with any thought of what I might get in return. And that may be how you prefer to give, but that's not how God prefers for you to give. God prefers for you to give so much that all of a sudden you're not going to have any qualms at all about him giving back to you because you're going to need it because you're going to be up a creek if he doesn't. That's how God prefers for you to give. Then all your issues with this weird stuff about God giving you money in return disappear overnight when you actually need it. That's what he wants. And I'm not going to let our church miss out on that. I'm not going to let you miss out on that. You've, You've heard them talk about, you know, more people doing this every year, and I don't want you to miss out on this this year. This is one of the greatest benefits of being a Christian, is not having to worry about money anymore. If you do your part, you don't have to worry about money anymore. And it's like, if you're a Christian and you don't experience this, it's like you're, you're a card-carrying member, but you, you, know, you never get any of the benefits. You never use any of the amenities. And it's just silly. I mean, it's, Christianity is not all sacrifice and suffering. It's a lot of sacrifice and suffering, um, but there's also an upside. And this is one of the upsides. God is your father, and you don't have to worry about money anymore. You don't have to worry about money anymore if you will just seek first his kingdom, if you will give your money to him first. And then if you do that, you know, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. The, the offering is not next week. It's two weeks away. So we're going to talk about this again next week. I know some of you are going to go home and make plans to be gone next Sunday, which is fine. I get it. Um, So it's two weeks away. Go home, think about it, pray about it, and consider, just consider giving more than you feel like you can afford. Because that's what you have to do to, you know, it's, it's not like a sliding scale where you can just give a little bit and then he gives a little bit back. You can't dip your toe in the water. You have to lay out. And what does that mean for you? What's the threshold that you have to hit to trip that wire? I don't know. It's different for every person. But God will show you what it is. I want you to consider giving more than you feel that you can afford. And if you do that for the first time in your life, you will be on your way to actually having enough. Let's pray. God, you know how scary it is for us to take a risk and step out. And like John talked about, we hear other people talk about it, but we're skeptical or it just doesn't sit well with us. It's just not the kind of Christianity we like or what we thought Christianity was about. But God, this is what you tell us. And I ask that as we sit here right now, you would give us the faith to believe it. You know we have little faith. You said as much in the passage. Give us faith to believe it. Give us faith to take this action and to step out and to risk and to prove for ourselves that you are trustworthy. To know that you want to provide for us like a father in a new way that we could have never known before we did this. 
God, I ask right now that you would give us a sense, a, a taste, a preview, right now as we sit here, of the peace that we would experience, that would be ours, if we could stop worrying about money. If we could really not have to worry about money. If we could really have enough provided by you. Not something we have to go out and, and drum up for ourselves, but provided by you. I ask that you'd give us a sense of that peace right now, of what that would feel like, as a preview and a taste of, of what it could be like if we would take this step and this risk. Encourage us, comfort us, speak to us, and show us what it is that you want us to give. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.